turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19, I want to talk about uh, today the need for human contact and um, it's something that's become very obvious during this uh, uh, most peculiar year that we've had and um, I guess a lot of people started out at the beginning of uh, 2020 with uh, thoughts of what a great year it might be. You know, it was so easy to play on words of uh, 2020 vision and so on. Um, what a different year to what people might have imagined. Um, I heard a little comment from somebody the other day that they had decided in 2020 that they would uh, lose 20 kilos, sort of fitting in with the 20s. And uh, they thought, they've realised now at the end of the year that they've only got 30 kilos to go. <laughs> So it's been a year of surprises. Um, I just want to look at a, uh, a time in King David's life before he was king when um, it wasn't his um, best period. And the reason I just want to touch on it is because uh, even though some people have uh, uh, taken opportunity in this year, some businesses have... Uh, have abounded, uh, others uh, have been all over the place. Some people's lives, they've managed to make the most of it and there are people here who have got more meetings than they've ever had because they've just traveled the Zoom line all around the world and uh, fed themselves with uh, lots of good things. Um, but we are aware too that we, uh, we're all different people and that uh, some of our people have struggled. And maybe some of us uh, would, or maybe all of us might say, in some ways we've had some struggles this year. And so just maybe looking at the beginnings of, uh, and I'm going to look at just a, a little bit first off about the friendship of um, Jonathan and David, that they really were kindred spirits. When you look at uh, Jonathan, uh, he sort of comes in with this... Uh, great little entrance of him and his armour bearer deciding to, uh, to take on a group of Philistines more in number than they were and they smashed them and that was, that was Jonathan and then David enters the scene and he decides to take on Goliath and um, it turns the army of Israel around from uh, being uh, an army that wouldn't volunteer uh, to every man and his dog was chasing after the Philistines happily because of what they saw uh, David do. And the other thing I think that was uh, quite, well, there's probably a few things that connected them, but uh, they were both very humble men. Um, you look at Jonathan who, who saw the role that David was going to have and was prepared to think, well, I might be the son of the king, but I'm not pushing my own bandwagon. I can see what the Lord has uh, called David to, and I'm going to sort of allow him to have that role. So, um, and of course we know David too was a, a very humble man. Uh, at times he might have shown some other features, but he, he knew how to get back right with God. So let's just um, pick up here the story in chapter 19 where we find now that uh, King Saul, who was a bit of a grumpy bloke, um, 
managed to get offside with uh, David, very jealous of him. And verse 1, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David, as you do, (laughs) to the hero in his country. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee and what I see uh, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan, Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul, his father. And so there's a, there's a, a very close friendship here. And they, they both know the nature of Saul. And they're going to sort of uh, uh, work their way through this difficulty. So if we go to chapter 20, and um, we find that uh, David starts to run uh, from King Saul in fear of his life. Um, And we pick it up in verse 17. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, or make an oath, a promise, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty at the the king's table. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when when the business was in hand. In other words, before. He's done it once before. And shalt remain by the stone easel. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And they make this arrangement here as to how he's going to have a bit of a signal for the two to be able to meet up because it wasn't safe for them to be seen together. And we pick it up in verse uh, 33. Um, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping things here, but uh, perhaps 32. And John, Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall David be slain? What has he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. So these two friends were really in it together. They both had a javelin thrown at them by Saul. And uh, they, they had a great uh, friendship. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David, because his father had done him shame. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the secret signal here. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. 
And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now, the, uh, the human element that we're all very aware of at the moment uh, is that many of us have been kept apart more than is healthy. And uh, I was at the airport the other day just uh, picking up uh, our visitors from Shoalhaven and via Hungary, Hungary via Shoalhaven. And um, good to have you here. Um, and, uh, and good to have other visitors here from all over, just hearing the testimonies. Uh, where uh, life has been probably a fair bit more difficult. We've been very fortunate in our state, uh, but in Victoria, the lockdown has gone for how many days? 119 days of lockdown. Um, we did two in South Australia. <laughs> um, I think that's a fairly serious lockdown. Um, and it's not healthy for human life, really. Um, I mean, we manage, we do our best to manage. But uh, when I was at the airport the other day, it, it was sort of empty as. In fact, they're, they're doing up the airport while nobody's there. They're, they're going through and uh, big improvements. And um, anyway, when I saw the small group that came off the plane, there was one set of grandparents by me that, that while the, the people are coming through and getting checked and it's sort of all a bit longer than normal, um, these grandparents couldn't keep themselves away from the grandchild that was on the other side of the, uh, of the barrier. And, um, and, and you realise the feelings that are, that are in them. And here we see um, a couple of grown men who are facing a difficulty together. And they're struggling with the difficulty and they're making a bit of an arrangement, knowing that they're not going to be able to see each other for a while. And what unfolds after this is not all David shining. In fact, if you look through the next chapters, you find twice he sort of goes in two or three times. He, he, he runs to um, one king who's not of Israel, goes and hides himself there. Another time he goes and joins the Philistines. And he's, he's, he's not in his best moment. Um, he's, uh, he's also, it's the time where he wants to kill Nabal. That's different to Noble, it's Nabal. <laughs> and he, um, it, it all got the better of him at this particular time. Um, and, um, and of course, he had two opportunities where he could have killed Saul in this same period. And he's got this team of people around him who, who are... Also people who are aggrieved and they've all come and joined themselves to him and they're saying, kill him, go on. You know, we've had our troubles too. Get rid of him. And, but there's something fortunately in David that doesn't want to do it. He's still got good things inside of him, but he's not maybe surrounded by Jonathan and, and in his normal circumstances. And so we find him really quite, like I say, n not at his best and and maybe almost as though he was out of fellowship, if I can put it that way. But he's not in his normal situation. Maybe some of us have felt a little bit almost out of fellowship. We're just sort of live streaming. It's the best we can do. Um, I'm not saying we have been because we've been able to ring each other and we've been able to see each other to a certain degree. Let's go to uh, chapter 30. It does make you realise a little bit, though, what it is for a person to be out of fellowship. When you sort of think about 
that the, the things that have been cut off from somebody that they value. Um, so chapter 30, and David has been with the Philistines, so he's, he's changed camp and not a happy place for him, but it's what he had done. In verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, uh, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoham the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And this is a turning point where nothing really has gone his way. He hasn't felt like he's had the best support around him. He hasn't gone to the best people for support. And, and all of a sudden, he just falls to his knees, in a sense, and says, but I've got God on my side. I am really um, empowered and anointed with everything that I need. And so he spends this time alone with the Lord, however he has done it. And all of a sudden he finds himself back on the job. And, and that's, I, I suppose, the, the, uh, the best part of this story that is given to us that shows just how it can happen. And we read in verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And away he went. And he got the wind in his sails again, and he was up, and he was about. I know who I am again. And we remember him in his beginnings, that here he was, uh, just a... A faithful young man that was chosen by the Lord, and uh, you know he was in his familiar surroundings with his family. He 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 perhaps can only imagine he had a pretty good upbringing, uh, the things that had sort of come into his heart, and 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 he had a great start going out there, taking on the giant and and so on, just ready for everything. But this had certainly knocked him, but now he's back where he was. And feeling the, the, the faith, the, the strength, the things that come from God that were sort of lacking in his life. And um, I suppose that uh, maybe I just want to take some uh, time to think here today about how this um, same thing can perhaps have affected some of us to a certain degree. Let's go to Acts chapter 2.
you don't ever really want to get um, these sort of reality checks in life when um, I suppose you see your own humanity, you see your own weakness. Um, it's nice feeling bold in the Lord. It's, uh, it's nice um, stringing off a few victories, but it's not as enjoyable when, uh, when you're feeling, oh, um, I don't feel like I'm playing in front anymore. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of playing from behind a bit. I'm playing catch up and uh, I don't... Uh, I don't have all the. I don't feel like I've got all the normal tools at hand that I that I've had, and yet we know spiritually we do. But uh, what does us so much good? And I suppose just talking about this need for human contact is that um, we see it in the world that people are generally struggling with uh, not having the same sort of contact as normal, and they are delighted when they get together, and the hugs are longer, you know, when they can. The handshakes are longer. The chats are longer. And, and even for us, you know, when we've come, been able to come back to meetings and here we are coming back nationally and internationally, um, that we want to talk longer. We want to, uh, we want to reflect over the things that we've been uh, dealing with and, and how um, uh, God has sustained us or how we've been tricked or how we've been tested. And if we just look back at the first church and see how valuable that was, we read here in, in uh, Acts chapter 2 and in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptised. So this is, the, this is the first day of the church. It says 3,000 were baptised. But what's so important is what happens after this because we all in our various assemblies have lists of people who are baptised. And they're in our minds. We can, we can, some we forget, unfortunately. Maybe a lot of them we forget because they just come and go. We only see them for a day. Others we might see for a week or a year, but many go. But what's so important here, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And there's, there's something incredibly valuable about this that keeps us for the long haul. Because no man is an island. If you want to hurt somebody in prison, put them into isolation, into solitary. Close them off completely. You want to destroy them, put them completely on their own. And here, in the beginning of the church, we see the complete opposite, is that people who perhaps were on their own, who were in various positions in their life, all of a sudden they're brought together and they have one common thing that they love to talk about, and it's the testimony of God in their life. And they, uh, and in a way, they overlook uh, their their faults um, in each other. And I mean, when you fall in love with somebody, you don't see their faults, and uh, hopefully, it stays that way. <laughs> um, but it is easy, you know, as time goes on, to sort of find a fault here or there. And uh, I just try to give Kathy dark glasses so that she just doesn't notice so much. Um, not that she picks on me. Um, but the uh, same can happen in the fellowship, that when we, uh, we come together, that first of all, all we see is each other's testimonies. And we think, that's wonderful. We don't care for the past. You know, um, 
we're happy when somebody says, I remember one sister just walking back from the baptisms here a year or two ago uh, at the beach. She was, she was just baptised herself and she just reeled out what had happened to her before she came to the Lord. An awful story, just a quick summary. And I thought, I'm sure you don't ever want to talk about that again. And, um, and, and, and I'm, uh, I'm convinced of it. You know, talking to her, she just wants to talk about her new life and care about what happened in the past. And so our, what it's talking about here in verse 42 is of people coming together, all of a sudden really understanding the power of Jesus Christ, the power of what he did, and, um, and the newness of life that they have. I was just talking to a few of the young people the other day and they said, don't worry about the fact that your testimony doesn't come from being out in the world and having some troubles because your testimony is not so much about who you were, but who you are now. That's the, that's the thing that binds all of us together. We're not here to glory in our past in any way whatsoever. We're just here to glory in what Jesus Christ has done in us. That's what bonds us together so that there is no difference between those who've come out of the world and those who've grown up in the work. None. You know, a little bit like uh, we see in the Bible that the Jews who had come with the oracles of God, um, they met with the Gentiles and the Gentiles, uh, they had a nice name for them, dogs. <laughs> That's how they saw them because they had idolatry and immorality and ate funny food and smelt <laughs> sort of thing. And yet God put them together that there would be no difference. Those who had the oracles of God and those, those who'd come out of the world. And, and, and they both needed the mercy of God to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so it is with us that it's not about our past. It's about who we are now and, and what we have come to know about Jesus Christ. And in verse 43, we see that the result of this, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And look at the change in nature that is happening here as people are filled with the Holy Ghost and inspiring each other. And there's this need when we come together to inspire and to be inspired. There's sometimes where, and particularly when you first come to the Lord, you want to be inspired. But there might be times along the way too where again you need to be inspired. But there's also uh, that role of inspiring. And if you haven't got anybody to inspire, what are you going to do with it? So putting us together as inspirers and inspirees works really well. We all gain the benefit. And so here they were, that from their fellowship around the Word of God, as they came together, we find them, they, they're going out all better off for it. And, and in verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They became very unselfish and not trying to build up things in this life, but saying, but what about the others? And, and we're in a position now I'll lead on to this a little bit, but we are, uh, we're all in one boat together at this particular time in the world because uh, the, the problem of the, the virus that has hit every corner of the globe is, has, some, has a good point to it, that it, it, 
can allow us to have more empathy for our neighbour and not to separate ourselves too much from our neighbour. Now we know we separate ourselves as far as our behaviour and our belief is concerned, but, but to be thrown together into the same boat where we can sort of listen to each other, you know, that great T-shirt, somebody was wearing one here the other day from our convention, What's Your Story, and the pamphlet, I love using that pamphlet, What's Your Story, where we can connect with other people and say, how's your year been? And as, we, uh, as we're all in the same boat together, we can talk about how our year's been and what doors will that open, you know, because of uh, us all being thrown in together. And in verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And I imagine there was a lot of introverts there. Um, it's a bit of a saying these days, they're sort of starting to examine the difference between introverts and extroverts. And um, um, maybe in our audience here today, half of us might be introverts and half of us extroverts. But the Holy Ghost works in all of us and um, in our different manner. And he brings us together and he's brought them together here where introverts would have people into their homes or they would be invited into somebody else's home. And extroverts would uh, manage to maybe a little bit, be a little bit more bold about it and so on. But the Lord brought us all together. And in verse 47, praising God and having favour with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so the overall benefit here of the Lord bringing all these people together with the Holy Ghost, with the Word of God, with their stories, was that everyone went out better for it. And as a result of that, the Word of God just grew. And the ability for individuals to, um, I guess, break barriers with others, you just see from here on, that just grew. You know, breaking the ice in a conversation with people you don't know is not always for everybody easy. Some people are extroverts and no problem, I can go for it. But there's many of us where that just wasn't our way. And yet we find from here on through the, through the book of Acts that that's exactly what they do. And Peter and John here in the next chapter, they're going for a walk and all of a sudden there's a guy that they probably would never have thought to talk to. Who's, who's lame and think, well, how do we connect to him? But now they've been so filled up and inspired that they want to have a bit of human touch here. And they said, well, we haven't really got anything we can give you, but we have got the Holy Ghost and power. And away they go doing something quite different because they've been inspired by the contact and they realised that they had a job to do. That it wasn't just about what God had given them for themselves, but something lit up inside them that this was about a, that the life is about people. Life is about saving people's souls. And that became their whole mission. I mean, they still had to have jobs and kids and all the other things in life, but it just became so important to them. Let's go to Acts chapter 9.
And um, this is the conversion of Saul. And um, verse 8. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prays. And it's seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Do I have to speak to this guy? He kills people. He kills saints. Give me any job, but not that one. He's the last person I want to break the ice with. <laughs> and, and yet the Lord is calling this man. We read of him later that he was a, he was a devout man. He was a, he was a good man in the Lord, as Paul gives a testimony of him later. And, and yet he is being asked by the Lord, this sort of super straight uh, guy that just wants to do what God wants him to do. He's asked to go to this rebel murdering um, rousing, stirring up sort of a guy. And yet the Lord says, but I do want you to do it. And in verse uh, 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how uh, great things uh, he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. What a day for Ananias. Ananias. You know, you, you, uh, you know, we mightn't think of him very often, but he would never have forgotten that day when all of a sudden he did something that was out of his comfort zone. That was not where he thought his life was headed. But he met somebody that he probably stayed friends with for many, many years after that and did something very useful for the Lord. Um, I just want to, I've been reading a little book um, and um, just want to take something from it. Um, it's a book called The Happiest Man on Earth and it caught my eye. Um, the... Um, the guy in it, he's now 100 years old. He's a Holocaust survivor. And um, he's, he, he was in Birkenau uh, and in Auschwitz. I think he was in Birkenau twice. Um, he managed to uh, get out a couple of times. And um, he even at one time when he had escaped into the Netherlands and Belgium, um, went, he was doing a lot of walking trying to survive. And... Uh, just duck wherever the Nazis were. And he, he walked up to Dunkirk when all that was happening. Um, but um, he couldn't get on board the boats. One of his friends actually managed to get an English uniform and uh, to be able to get on one of the boats to go back to England. But he, 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 he saw a, a dead body of a guy with an English uniform, but he said he just didn't have the heart to take away his dignity and take the jacket off him. So he walked away and eventually ended up in another 
camp, I think, in, in the south. I think the Belgian uh, government dobbed him in um, and uh, he ended up in another camp. And, uh, but eventually he, he ends up in, um, at one stage in Auschwitz and is terribly treated, uh, bruised, battered. Three times he was uh, about to go in the gas chamber and, and didn't end up going in. He was 20 minutes away from it. Um, he lost all of his family that way. Um, except for one sister. And um, it was uh, obviously a, a gruelling time for him, just trying to keep hope and stay alive. Uh, I think at one stage he said he was reduced to 28 kilograms in weight. Um, now, you might want to lose weight, but not that much. <laughs> um, but he had one friend, and he said, um, being able to be together with this friend just made all the difference in the world and uh, they they sort of looked out for each other and they they appeared in a few places together um, and um, which was quite something so I, I guess I hadn't described that he's a, he was a German Jew uh, so he was persecuted for that reason he couldn't understand how people could change so much in their behavior when he had just lived a, a normal life in Germany but obviously Hitler was a very persuasive evil man um, but um, at one stage when he escaped from Auschwitz, he went to a house nearby and uh, he still had his prison clothes on and he didn't know what to do. Um, so he went and knocked on the door of somebody who lived in the region. And, um, and people, of course, were very fearful and didn't know much of, you know, who to trust. And he said when he came to the door looking for some help, he said the guy went back in the house and came back with a gun and started firing at him. So he ran off the property um, um, and eventually got shot in the leg and thought, how do I now deal with this? And so he found a way to go back into Auschwitz with a work team that he was part of, sort of snuck back in uh, without anybody noticing that he'd left and eventually found uh, a prisoner doctor there who managed to get the bullet out of his leg. He said he would have died uh, if that hadn't happened. Um, and, um, but the other thing, apart from the personal friend I wanted to mention, was that there was a couple of occasions where there were people just really understood his plight and they had um, nothing much uh, to share. And I'll just read a little bit of this. I've never experienced so much kindness from strangers as I did in the small villages of France. I was sleeping rough in doorways and in hidden places in public areas and waking up very early to start walking again so I wouldn't make the authorities suspicious. The Nazis held power everywhere in France now with collaborators working hand in glove with the occupying forces. It was often still dark when I started walking but the villagers would see me and call out in French, have you eaten, are you hungry? and they would invite me in to share their breakfast. These were people who had very little themselves, poor farmers who were already suffering from the hardships of the war, but they were willing to share everything they had with me, a stranger and a Jew. They knew they were risking their lives helping me, and still they did it. Even when these villagers were hungry themselves, they would slice up their bread and make me take some with me. Um, it was a later period where he was uh, thrown onto a truck, uh, sorry, a cattle, I guess it was a cattle truck, he was thrown onto a, uh, a railway carriage, an open railway carriage, 
uh, in minus 20 degrees. And uh, they were on a, a train to Buchenwald. And uh, he said, we were loaded with 30 into each of the open wagons and we began to freeze to death. Um, I won't read all of it. It says the snow piled up. Um, if we were thirsty, all we had to do was reach out and grab a handful of, of snow. Um, we were given no food, but, um, but when we were travelling through Czechoslovakia, women would sometimes run up alongside the train and throw bread to us. It was not much bread, one loaf between 30 people, but even a mouthful of bread is better than none at all. And once more it proved to me that there were still good people in the world. This knowledge was hope, and hope is the fuel that powers the body. Uh, I just wanted to use that as a little comparison, I guess, that um, sometimes maybe we feel that we haven't got a lot to give. Um, but, you know, all the people across Europe at that time were thrown in the same boat together. And, um, and here was this understanding that, well, I've probably actually got a little bit better than you have. And, um, and what little I have, uh, I will share with you. And um, I'd just like to, with that, um, just go to uh, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Verse 1, it just says here, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. And the, the inference here is upon all those round about, it, round about us. You know, we have this great chorus that's been written by one of our brothers Jesus is the bread of life. Um, he who comes to him shall never hunger, never thirst again. And um, it's a John chapter 6 is a great passage about Jesus being the bread of life. And we've got that bread wherever we go. You know, David had to remind himself when he was in strife that he actually had a good relationship with God and that it wasn't broken. And we've got a good relationship with God. And, um, but around us are people who haven't. And their circumstances um, might be good or bad or indifferent as far as natural things at the moment, but spiritually they don't have the bread of life, and we do. And um, I, um, I wouldn't mind actually if Pastor Laurie and Mary, one of you or both of you, would tell the story about um, your niece Mary. Um, just come up in a moment if that's all right, just on short notice. Um, you'll tell it better than me. But... Uh, there are, when we look at the stories in the book of Acts of how the bread of life went out, th there are so many personal stories. The, be the beginning is 3,000. But after that, we see the lame man, just one person, and it does a huge thing, just one person. We read of the Ethiopian eunuch, who is just named as one person. We read of, of Saul of um, uh, um, Aeneas, 
who was healed, of Cornelius, of Mary's house of prayer for Peter and James when they were in jail. Just one location, just something happening. Um, we read of, uh, of Lydia at the beginning of the Philippi church. We read of the jailer. Just one person at a time. That's that, uh, that understanding that I have the bread of life and they don't. And if we, if we can grab hold of that, you know, we, we haven't been able to have as many events this year as normal. But maybe the most important events that we ever have are the contact we have with the people who are right next to us. Because that's what it shows us in the book of Acts. Just one conversation at a time. One person that I could maybe help right here and now. You able to come up, Mary? Yeah, come on up. Just wouldn't mind you sharing this little thought. Yeah, um, this time last year, um, we had Christmas time with our family. And we don't do that a lot, but we did it last year. And um, I've got a brother in Hong Kong and Laurie's got a brother in Boston in USA. And um, after we'd seen them, uh, they were out here. And that brought all their um, children and stuff around as well. After we'd seen them, I just felt really um, distressed for them. They all had troubles in their life and difficulties and... Some of the children are quite dysfunctional and all that sort of thing. And I, I just thought, oh, they live overseas. How am I going to have any contact with them? I, I need them to see more of what our lives are like and what the Lord's done for us. And I was encouraged by a, a testimony of a, a young sister at the Vogue who um, said that at convention a couple of years ago, she was put on the outreach team and she, um, she was on the table uh, where the prophecy boards were and she, she just was feeling really scared and she said that she just said to the Lord well um, you bring them to me and get them to ask me the questions and that's exactly what happened and, and so I thought with um, our family that's what I'd do um, Lord you bring them to me because I, I don't know how to, how to do this and um, in the next week four of our nieces and nephews rang us to talk to us and uh, including uh, one of my nieces who lives in the Gold Coast who wanted to come and stay overnight with us on her way to Port Lincoln. And um, anyhow, she came in and I realised that the one night was actually the night the play was on at Gawler. It was out on, you know, the open air on the oval there on the, on the golf course. And so I asked her if she'd like to come. They've got a little girl who's two and a half, three. And so they came and um, I could hear her sitting um, sort of next to me and a little girl saying, what are those people doing? And, and she was saying, oh, they're bad people. They've got to do what God says. And I thought, oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> and um, anyhow, on the way home, we didn't say much. The little girl was ready for bed and they went to, to bed. The next morning we're out sitting on the deck having breakfast and um, I just was thinking, oh, Lord, what will I say to her? You know, what, how, will I, how will I do this? You, you, get her to, you, you get her to ask me. And um, within about two seconds, she said to Laurie, Uncle Laurie, um, uh, I've got some questions for you. I've been wondering about God, um, whether the answer, she said, I've had a really terrible year and I'm starting to wonder if um, God's the answer. And so within a couple of hours after talking to them, she'd had prayer and received the Holy Spirit and... Um, it was just amazing 
um, they went off and uh, uh, went back to Queensland and we didn't have you know, opportunity to send her to meetings because it was COVID and um, there, was, you know, there was no way to actually um, sort of get her to, to go to anything. But um, she started watching all the streaming um, initially at the Vogue and then there was one particular instance where she watched it at Elizabeth and heard a testimony about a family who'd had numerous miscarriages um, and then had been able to have a child. And um, she'd, she'd had four miscarriages in 18 months. And um, anyhow, so that really resonated with her. And it was just wonderful to know that the Lord was ministering to her, uh, even though we couldn't do anything much about it. And uh, anyway, praise the Lord with, um, you know, wonderful saints up there that followed her up. And a couple of months later, she got baptised and... Uh, She's now uh, 25 weeks pregnant. Her husband, who was out of work, um, got a job in the middle of COVID and a really good job. And uh, they've been trying to build a house and hadn't been able to get um, funding and stuff for that. And the Lord has provided that for them as well. So um, really, despite us, <laughs> the Lord has just done this wonderful work. And I really praise and thank you. So... Um... I suppose the, uh, the good thing is that all of us can have that same prayer for whoever is on our minds and say, Lord, open up an opportunity here. And that's what God has called us to do. And, um, and praise the Lord that many of us are here just because of that reason. Not because somebody was wealthy, successful, um, good-looking, strong, fit. It, they might have out of the difficulties of their life just said, Lord, I want them to be saved. I know I've got all the riches in glory, but nothing is, has been held back from me. I've been deprived of nothing that is important in life. And, um, and so may we um, see that uh, our, our human contact that we are able to really enjoy here, and particularly because of the Holy Ghost that's within us, we know that's what really brings us all together, uh, needs to go out to other people. And, and the Lord is going to use us uh, more and more in this uh, particular time. Um, so, uh, hallelujah. I think I might just leave it there. 